0: Thank you for the music this morning and for our children's time that we had. Appreciate that. Appreciate all the work that has gone in uh, to producing video content for the church over the last uh, several weeks now and then all of the communication that's had to take place uh, from our staff. And uh, special thanks to Pastor Caleb and Miss Naomi. Uh, Pastor Caleb, the work you've done with the kids, we appreciate that. And rallying those around uh, to help you get that done. Miss Naomi doing all the digital communication for us getting that up. It's just a lot of work has taken place. We're very, very thankful for it. And uh, we are looking forward, uh, as we have said already, to getting back into a somewhat new normal. So let's take our Bibles this morning and go to the book of Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. And as you know, we've resumed our uh, sermon series through the book of Mark and started the second section of the book of Mark. Uh, Before we ask the question, who is Jesus? And now we're talking about the mission of the Messiah. And so the mission of the Messiah is what we're focusing on now. Um, And we're going to pick up in the uh, Mark chapter number 9, verses 1 through 13. It will be our reading this morning, and then I'll back up and give us some context, and we'll run into this. And so if you found your place in Mark chapter number 9, let's stand in honor of the Word of God and uh, follow along with me as I read. Mark chapter number 9, verse 1, and he said unto them, Verily I say unto you that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. There appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make thee three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias, for he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly... When they had looked round about, they saw no man any anymore, save Jesus only with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning with one another what the rising from the dead should mean. And they asked him, saying, Why sayeth the scribes that Elias must first come? And he answered and told them elias verily cometh first and restoreth all things and how it is written of the son of man that he must suffer many things and be set at naught but i say unto you that elias is indeed come and they have done to him whatsoever they listed as it is written of him when he came and his disciples saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them let's pray together father we ask you that you would bless the reading of your word this morning. What I pray, Father, that you would give us clarity of thought. Father, we are so glad to be here this morning, and Lord, we ask you to work in us and through us. It's in the precious name of Jesus we ask all these things. Amen. You can be seated there if you would. And so, as we continue to walk through uh, the book of Mark, we we brought to you last week uh, the confession of Peter, "Thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And really, if you were to draw a a chart. What we see is the book of Mark building to this moment in chapter 8. And then from the point in chapter 8, we find the book of Mark leading us to the cross. And so we go to chapter 8 where there's a confession about who Christ, who Jesus is. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And now we're moving toward the cross and what it looks like for the Christ to suffer. And this would have been foreign to the nation of Israel for there to be a suffering Messiah. didn't get that, and we're going to see that in a minute. The teaching of Jesus follows Peter's confession. uh, The teaching of Christ in verse number 30 and 31, he tells them that he's going to be crucified, he's going to suffer, he's going to rise again. And we're told that he spoke this plainly. It wasn't something done with shadows and, and entry. He said plainly, I'm going to rise. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. Now, if somebody looked at you and said, I'm going to go to the store and get some lunch meat, and I'm going to come back, what would you assume they meant they were going to do? You get some lunch meat and come back, right? It was just, this is what I'm going to do. And yet the apostles were so locked in to their preconception of who the Messiah was that they couldn't hear it. They couldn't hear it. My daughter always teases me, and we, we joke a lot around here about drinking Pepsi or Coke, right? And, uh, and the other day I got a cherry Pepsi. And she just wasn't having anything to do with it. That can't be cherry Pepsi, Dad. It just can't be. That just doesn't fit. How can you do that? Uh, and that's the, kind of the same way. We can't believe that would happen of you. If you're the Messiah, why would you suffer? If you're the Messiah, why would you be crucified? It just seems so foreign in their minds that the Messiah would be the one who suffered. And so Peter says, you know what, i got to set this straight. And we saw last week, Peter calls Jesus aside and rebukes him. And he says, far be it from you, Lord. And of course, the rebuke that he gave to Jesus is turned back on him. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. And then Jesus gives this great call to discipleship. You see, the apostles were looking for a kingdom to come. And by the way, we're still looking for a kingdom that is coming. But they're looking for a kingdom that would come and they would rise to power with this Messiah and they would sit at his right hand and his left hand when he comes into his kingdom and they would be places of prestige and honor. And now Jesus is saying to these same men who are anticipating places of honor and prestige, he looks at them and says, take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. Not only is he saying he's going to be crucified, but now he's saying to them, and you've got to go through suffering too. And it seems so far in from their mind. Their minds were, 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 were toiling with this and wrestling with these thoughts going on. And so we see the call to discipleship when he says, if you are ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you. The idea is that you cannot expect to enjoy a resurrection if you never are willing to go through a crucifixion. We can't can't expect to have the glory of the coming kingdom if we're not willing to let go of this kingdom. So few people, when they come to Christ, are willing to lay down who they are and willing to lay down what they desire and say, you are Lord. And Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father. Now, one of the things that we find here is the chapter divisions might throw us just a hair. Because verse number 1 of chapter 9 is really the conclusion of the conversation in chapter 8. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Now that's a pretty interesting prophecy. The kingdom with power in verses 9 and 1. He's saying you're going to live until you see the kingdom of God come with power. And the question would be what is he referring to here? Is he referring to the second coming, when Jesus Christ, we believe, will ride on a white horse, and he will have a vesture dipped in blood, and his name will be written King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Is that what's being referred to here? And if it is, then we have a problem, because all of these men have died. And that is not what he's talking about. As a matter of fact, if you were to reference 2 Peter 1.15, the ladies are studying through that right now on Thursday nights, and what a powerful book that is, but Peter The one who stood here on the Mount of Transfiguration declares that he saw the kingdom of God in power and majesty. He's referring to these events that took place right there just following six days later. Where three of them are taken up onto a high mountain. And what does God do? He pulls back the veil of time and matter and he reveals for a moment his kingdom and his power. He shows them the scope of all that he's doing and he reveals it just for a moment, just to give them a glimpse into it. For a moment, faith becomes sight. For a moment, they see something spectacular. And we come to this account of the transfiguration. Now, I, asked, uh, I would ask you this morning, and maybe you could just, in your own mind, answer the question, what comes to your mind when you think of the transfiguration? And often, not much. We don't think of it often. Often. Uh, We don't think of this, it's not really, it's not a parable. It's not a, is it a miracle? I would say yes, it is a miracle. And yet it's not listed with the miracles. In John MacArthur's notes on this, he said there's not a book he's found with a list of the miracles where this is included as one of the miracles. That's interesting to me. And yet, a miraculous event takes place. God lets man see his glory revealed in part. And so this transfiguration takes place. The why of it is interesting. Why? Why do this? Well, I want you to see as we walk through this, their picture of the Messiah, we said, was a military victor in the apostles' mind. And yet Jesus is saying, I'll be crucified. He's going to suffer, and then he'll be king. Let me say this morning, we will reign with him, the apostles will reign with him, but there will be suffering first, and every one of the apostles, save one, died a martyr's death, except for John, and he died in exile. This revelation was repulsive to the apostles, to the point where they were, how can this be, and even Peter is rebuking him, and now we see Jesus taking them up onto the mountain and showing them who he is, the inner three. He grabs these three, and he does this often. We find this in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus takes these three with him, and they go a little further to pray. We find them when they went into Jairus's daughter's room. He takes the inner three, and they go in there, and they see the daughter raised from the grave, or raised from the dead. We see this taking place. The teaching of Christ now that's preceding the verses we're walking into is opposed by the apostles and misunderstood by the apostles. They do not see a suffering Messiah. They do not see suffering followers. All they see is a victorious king and a victorious kingdom. And they believe that's what they are owed and that is their right as a nation. Jesus calls the inner three in and some have argued, well, these were his closest confidants. These were the ones uh, who were the strongest apostles. I read J. Vernon McGee this week, and if you've never heard J. Vernon McGee, I would encourage you to look him up. Uh, he'll be a comfort to you as you read him. But J. Vernon McGee, he pointed out this week that maybe it was not that these three were the strongest apostles, but they, they were actually the weakest. It was kind of like he said, I, I had this thought as I saw a mother uh, with three children, and she was, uh, had one on her hip, and she had the other two were toddlers, and they were toddling behind her. And I thought, you know, she's got to be really frustrated with those two that don't want to keep up. They keep straggling behind, and they won't stay with her. And and then it dawned on me, yeah, they are lagging behind. But the reason she carried the baby is because if she had set the baby down, it never could have followed. And maybe that's why Jesus picks up Peter, James, and John and carries them into Jairus' daughter's room. And maybe that's why he carries them up to the Mount of Transfiguration because he understood their weakness and their need of that confirmation. And so he carries them up onto this mountain, and now we see this uh, account unfold. We're told it's a high mountain. It's probably the Mount Horeb or what is also called Sinai. Uh, You know that mountain because this is a mountain that is very uh, used in Scripture, as a matter of fact, what we find here is the two men he meets on the mountain is Elijah and Moses. And Moses went up this mountain and got the law. And Elijah went up this mountain and met with God and heard the still, small voice. And so we find this taking place. It is also interesting that, that the, Satan said, hey, Jesus, let's go up into a high place and let me show you the kingdoms of the earth. And Jesus says to Peter, James, and John, let's go into a high mountain and let me show you the kingdom of heaven. And the contrasts are here, and so Jesus goes up into this high place, probably a snow-covered peak, probably a very cold place to be at this time, and they're there together, and what takes place, he's transfigured. And we're looking here in this verse, in verse number two, and he says, and they were by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. This picture, this word, is the, the idea of to reveal what is underneath. To make known the true nature of. This was not something that came on the outside of Jesus. You remember Moses going up onto the mountain. And he was there with the Lord. And as he was on the mountain, he came down and his face shone. But that didn't come from inside of Moses. It came on Moses. But what we see here is Jesus going up to the mountain. And not having something that reflects off of his face. But something that is coming from the inside out. His glory is being revealed from the inside out, and we see him shining with a brightness, and he said there's a brightness or a whiteness that no fuller could could make white. The idea there is nothing on earth that could bring this kind of whiteness to us. It was whiter than the snow that was about them. It was this brightness that overwhelmed them. And when we see God's glory revealed, how many times in Scripture do we see fire and brightness and a glow and all of these things associated with the glory of God? The Apostle Paul, on his road to Damascus's experience, he's walking down that road to Damascus, and the Bible says it was about the noonday. That means when the sun was as high as it could be in a Middle Eastern sky, and the sun is shining brightly, there was a brightness that came in that sky that outdid the sun and knocked those men to the ground. It was a brightness they could not comprehend, and just in that moment, Jesus kind of just peels back the robes of his humanity, and he says, I know what I just taught you is troubling you, but be not afraid. Be not afraid. And he shows them in a moment who he is. And how many times has God been so gracious to lead us by the hand, yea, to pick us up and carry us? the truth we need to go to and to teach us and to lovingly carry us to the place and I wish I could say the apostles go we got it don't worry about it we'll set everybody straight when we get off the mountain we're good we know who you are we're gonna go with you they still had some learning to do but Jesus reveals himself I want you to see Moses and Elijah if you pair these stories together you find a few things that are not expressly said in Mark but the Bible tells us that they discussed his crucifixion. I think that's interesting. I, I wonder what that conversation was. We're not told. But can you imagine Moses and Elijah talking about the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ together on that mountain? They're discussing it together. Moses and Elijah, there. faith is now made sight The Bible tells us also in Luke that the apostles fell asleep. That was a common practice of them when they went to prayer, much like it is for us, right? When we go to prayer, we fall asleep. How many times has that been the case when we bow our head to pray or we start to read our Bible, we become heavy and our eyes get heavy and we find ourselves falling asleep? And here the apostles, they had fallen asleep, the Bible tells us in Luke 9, and, and then the moment of transfiguration happens, and Peter awakes, and he sees this going on, and I, I think it's just as a side note here, they recognized who Moses was, they recognized who Elijah was, and yet they had never met those men. They, they, there was no way, and yet it was very clear they knew who they were, and often the question in eternity, will we recognize one another, is a question that is asked, and let me say most assuredly, Yes. We will know one another in eternity. We will know each other just as we know each other now, and yea, in a clearer and more definite way than we know each other now. And there will be fellowship greater than what we could even understand now. There will be a joy of reunion there, and these men recognize these, why, uh, these men on the mountain. Peter rushes in in the moment and speaks, and I think it's interesting if you would, and uh, he says, verse number six, for he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. You know, how many have ever been on the moment where you were just like embarrassed, or you were nervous, and so you said something, and what you said was worse than just keeping your mouth shut? And here Peter is kind of, he he fell asleep, and he's like, Oh, my goodness, what's going on? And the revelation of Jesus and his glory, and then Elijah and Moses there, and he's like, hey, man, that's Elijah, that's Moses. Hey, how about we build tabernacles to you guys? Oh, man, what did I say that for? And Peter is like, he didn't know what to say, but he just blurts this out to build these tabernacles. There's not really a rebuke that comes to him, but there is definitely a clarification of what the purpose of this is. You see, what do these men represent? Why Moses and Elijah? First off, Moses is the representation of the law. He came to give the law to the nation of Israel. When anybody talked about the Torah, what did they say? Moses said. Moses said. Moses said. And they're not saying that it didn't come from God, but he was synonymous with the law being given to the nation of Israel. And when they talked about the prophets, they spoke of Elijah. Elijah was that prophet. He was the main guy. He was the one they looked to. It was Elijah the prophet. And they looked to these two men as symbolic of the, of the law and the prophets. And what do we see in this moment? We see the law and the prophets communing with the Son of God about the death, burial, and resurrection. Make no mistake. The gospel was never an afterthought. It was always God's plan. The crucifixion was always God's plan. The resurrection was always God's plan. And these two men stand there. The prophets and the law, nationalism and moralism stand there. And their nationalism was pointing to a Messiah. Their moral, moralistic laws were pointing to a Messiah. Their ritualistic laws were pointing to a Messiah. And now we see them coming together and standing there and pointing to him. And when the suggestion is made, Let's make a tabernacle to all three. Oh no, these men were never intended to be the end. They were simply the means of getting to the end, and the end is Christ. And so what takes place, if you would, and Peter gives the word in verse number five to make the tabernacle, verse number seven, and there was a cloud that overshadowed them. This no doubt is the image of the Shekinah glory. Just as it hovered over the ark of the covenant, it now comes down over and then a voice comes out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. I usually don't wait this long into a sermon to give you the title, but this is it, hear him, hear him. This is the message, he said, I want you to hear Jesus. I want you to hear what he is saying and the, the call is there. You know, I think too often we can want to build tabernacles to personalities. But we focus on this, we get Jesus out of you. The history of Israel rightly exalts these men that have been faithful men. And, and by the way, I don't think there's wrong to give honor to whom honor is due. And we can thank God for faithful men and women in our lives who have pointed us and magnified Jesus to us. But understanding that when we exalt men, we're exalting them like we would exalt a road sign. We lift them up, we put them in a place because they're pointing some direction. And that's the only reason we would ever lift up a man because he's pointing to Jesus Christ. The only reason we can look around the room this morning and thank God for men and ladies who are faithful, that labor in their places and to come and minister in music and labor and teach the word of God, it is not that I could point you to them, but because we want to prop them up because they're pointing you to him. And Jesus stands there on the Mount of Transfiguration, and the apostles are viewing this image of the prophets and the law, pointing us to Jesus. And so, we come to this place then, the word of the Father, this is my beloved Son, hear him. I know this is probably a play on words, it's not as much a play on words in the text as it is in the translation But in the King James, I love how it says, and they saw Jesus only. I like that wording of it. When the men were gone, all they saw was Jesus. And may that be the case. May Jesus be all we see. May be that it is Jesus that we hear. When you read the law, look to Jesus. Hear him. The law points to Jesus. The prophets point to Jesus. The Father glorifies Jesus. And so this morning, church, hear Jesus. Hear him when you read the account of the creation. See Jesus' words as he, Jesus, the creator of everything, stood on the edge of eternity and said, Let there be light. Hear him. It was he that was speaking at that moment. Hear him in the Old Testament as his voice cries out from the mountaintop. Hear him in the New Testament as he speaks the words, Peace, peace. Be still. As he speaks the word, Kumai, rise, my daughter. As he speaks the word, be thy healed. As he speaks the word, go and sin no more. Hear Jesus in the New Testament. Hear him in every Bible story. Hear him in every sermon. Hear him in every song. Hear Jesus. That's what we're called to hear this morning. Let me say, church, let us listen slowly. Let us ask questions. And maybe let us wait before we speak. Until we understand that we've heard Jesus. See, if you're looking for a great display before you believe, you will remain faithless. So much of our world is looking for the wow. I got news for you. God is full of wow. And God can put the wow on. And one day we're going to see some wow on this old dusty planet that is going to shake everything that can be shaken. But the message we have from the Father today is hear Jesus. Hear him. Listen to him. They have Moses and the prophets, Jesus said. If they will not hear Moses and the prophets, they will not believe the one comes back from the dead. Let me say this, we don't need the sensational. We have the word of God. We know who our God is. We've been given a revelation, and by the way, that is not just my words. Peter went up on the mountain, saw Jesus transfigured in his glory, saw him in his power coming in his kingdom. He saw all it was going to take, and when he walks off the mountain, he said, guys, we don't receive this by some cunningly devised fable. We have seen him in his glory, and today we have a more sure word of prophecy. We can rest in the word of God. Hold on to this. Keep yourselves, Jesus says, until the Son of Man is risen from the dead, verse 9. Jesus knew where he was going. He knew the end of his resurrection. He walks on fearlessly. Jesus is not walking in fear or in trouble here. He says, I'm going to go to the cross, and he sets his face. And His Mark is so good about doing, we're going to race to the cross event after event after event after event and mark says let's just go let's just go let's just go we got to get to the cross we got to get to the cross and jesus the same way is marching to the cross here and they say this morning jesus did not fear his end and you and i do not need to fear ours the greatest thing the worst thing rather that could happen to you and i is the best thing that could happen to us if we are believers this morning There is nothing this world can take from us. Nothing. Nothing. And so Jesus marches forward. They're still clueless. Verse number 10. I I read this and I think to myself, wow. They kept the saying with themselves, questioning with one another what the rising from the dead should mean. What does he mean, this rising from the dead? Why this? They're again looking for a sign. They turn and says, where's Elias at? We'll not get into the whole history of this, but the idea is the scribes had rightly pointed out that one must come in the spirit of Elijah and would be a forerunner for Christ. And Jesus says he did come. His name was John the Baptist, and he expressly says that in another place, that John the Baptist has come in the spirit of Elijah. And guess what? Exactly what the Old Testament said would happen to John the Baptist happened. They rejected him. And he said, and by the way, the same thing the Old Testament said about the Messiah that is going to happen will happen to the Messiah. He points them again to Scripture. Jesus again points them to the Word of God. The Son of Man must suffer many things. And so what are our takeaways this morning? When I cover a large passage of Scripture like this with so much intricacies, I want to make sure you get maybe just some statements that you can carry home with you or some Base points, and this is what I want you to get. Number one, we see a threefold witness of Christ's stated ministry. We see a clear threefold witness that the Messiah would suffer, be buried, and rise again. Elijah testifies to it, the prophets. Moses testifies to it, the law. The Father testifies to it from heaven. A threefold witness. Do you remember when the people that were trying to trap Jesus, were looking for witnesses to accuse him. And they were looking, can we get two or three witnesses? But the problem is that they would find some witnesses or pay some witnesses, but they couldn't get the witnesses to agree that he had blasphemed. And what we find here is three witnesses that agree fully of who he is. So, not only The threefold witnesses of Christ's stated ministry in front of us. I want you to see, secondly, and take this with you. It affirms the supremacy of the Word of God. It affirms the fact that God's Word, even in this moment of great transfiguration, what does the Father say to us? Hear Him. What do we mean, pastor, hear him? Are we supposed to walk outside and listen to him? Well, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter number one that in diverse manners, in sundry times, God spoke and passed by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And what you see is when we hold the Bible in our hands, we see the revelation of Jesus Christ unfolded on every page of scripture. He's pointing us to the supremacy of the word of God. Jesus didn't point them to experience, but he used experience to confirm the Word of God. The Word of God should not drive us to seek some greater experiment, experience. The Word of God shouldn't drive us to try to climb up onto a mountain somewhere and experience God. No, the experience of life should drive us to the Word of God. Always taking us to the Word of God. Thank God for the moments when you and I have been on the mountaintop. Thank God for the moments where you've been in a meeting and I've been in a meeting or maybe just in your prayer closet and the tears began to flow and you knew because you felt it in your soul that the presence of God was in that room. I've been there. A few weeks ago, I was in here and we were getting ready to preach and it dawned on me that I was the only person in the audience that morning while you guys were singing up here. And I remember thinking, well, this is kind of silly me standing up and singing right now. Then I reminded, my, I went home and told Susie, I said, how many times have I gone into our auditorium here and in Ohio, and I've just walked around and picked out a hymn book and just walked around and began to worship all by myself, and guess what? God showed up. And the presence of God was real. Thank God for those times. Let me say this this moment, morning, church, don't let those mountaintop experiences cause you to seek mountaintop experiences, because they'll be deceptive. And you'll be discouraged when God chooses the valley of suffering. Let me say this, let the mountaintops remind you that his word is sufficient. And that's what God and Jesus are pointing us to in this text. And so we're reminded then, not only of the threefold witness of of Christ's work and plan, of the affirmation of the supremacy of the word of God, we're reminded thirdly that there is a coming kingdom. There is a coming kingdom. We will see him. We cannot let our eyes dwell on this world and lose hope. We cannot live down here and get our minds so bogged down with all the minutia and all the, well, what is that people over there trying to do? And what are these evil men trying to accomplish? And we can hear all the things that are going on. Let me say this. Do not be surprised when evil men do evil things. Expect it. In the last days, evil seducers will wax worse and worse. It is going to happen. But I got news for you. If the lights are going dark, it's because the show's about to start. God's got a plan. He's working a plan, and his kingdom is coming. Jesus will come again. He will rule and reign, and he will come in power and glory, and we will see it on display. And we can rest in that truth this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you that when we stand in our mind's eyes and we look at that mountain, that we're not called to go to a mountain to find you, but rather you came to where we were. You came to a mountain to find us. And Father, what a God that you are that searched us out. You brought the gospel to where we were. Lord, may we be willing to, Take the gospel to where somebody else is. Father, thank you for your word.